0: Good. I think I'm all on. And I think this is high, not because necessarily I'm taller, but because I'm older, and so I need... <laughs> I need, I need <laughs> My reading glass bit of my specs comes in handy here. So, I think many of you know, that uh, last autumn, our younger daughter, who lives in Bedford, was knocked off her bike in a hit-and-run accident. That was the back of her bike afterwards. Um, she was going through a green light onto a roundabout. And uh, the next slide, I think, shows this roundabout in daylight. I don't know whether you can't really see, but there were cars on the inside lane stopped at the red light, and this guy went through the red light in the outside lane and took her down and, um, and, and then drove off. And a stranger called Laura stopped her car and went to rescue my daughter. I thank God for the kindness of strangers. Isn't that good? And, um, But it was was dark, it was in in the evening, in the autumn, it was cold. Uh, Laura had taken her to the middle of the roundabout, and they called 999, and the 999 handler said the ambulance would be at least two hours. And um, so, uh, Katie called a friend, she'd got lots of good friends, Vicky, who came to be with her, so Laura could could go off on whatever she needed to do. And she just decided, Vicky took Katie to A&E. But because of that, she was like a walk-in. She hadn't been taken in by the paramedics who triaged her. So she was four hours just waiting, in great pain. It turned out she had a fractured skull, as well as a broken ankle and stuff like that. But triage is what happens in in A&E, isn't it? So, um, uh, triage is important in healthcare, because some injuries are more life-changing than others. Yeah, agreed? And actually, triage is also important in theology because some beliefs are more life-changing than others. So um, some people like to say that some beliefs are written in blood, some in pen, and some in pencil. Right? So those written in blood, like, for example, would be the beliefs enshrined in the Nicene Creed. This would include belief that there is a God, that God exists in three, is, is one, but he's also three, there's a trinity, that Jesus is both 100% God and 100% human. Uh, we believe in the bodily rec- resurrection of Jesus and we believe in the hope of Christ's kingdom to come when Jesus returns, uh, which is all revealed in the Bible, which is God's word to humanity. And, and if, if you do not love and embrace those beliefs, well, we're not really Christian at all. They're written in blood. But one of the telltale signs of an unhealthy church or a cult group is that they don't do theological triage. In, uh, in unhealthy church groups, either nothing is written in blood, that's not good, or everything is written in blood. Everything they teach is a to-die-for belief. And even disagreement on secondary issues marks you as an outsider to be excluded and rejected. That is not our way at the Oak, nor in most uh, Bible churches in Britain, thank God. And so, um, I want to talk today about the spiritual discipline of submission because it comes up in our passage. And I think when you engage in the spiritual discipline of submission, it enables you to see that many things are actually not as important as your pride told you they were. We're set free to tell the difference between critical issues and things where we're just stubborn. All right? So um, there are also, of course, beliefs written in pen, where we may differ to a certain extent. I mean, some Christians don't think miracles continue to this day. At the Oak, we believe God is still doing miracles. Um, Some people believe that water baptism would be by full immersion. It's my preference. But not everybody has been baptized in that way. And so there are differences. And other beliefs are in pencil. There may be even more... Uh, secondary, and I had some ideas here. I mean, like whether you share communion daily, weekly, or once in a while. These things vary between different churches. Now, the late great John Stott, some of you might have heard of him. I think he died in about 2011. He was fondly called the Pope of the evangelical Christians. He said, where the Bible is definite, we should be definite, but where the Bible is tentative, we should be tentative. It's very good advice. So I'm going to read the passage today. I think various spiritual disciplines are mentioned here. Paul Paul has been, and uh, Silas is it, or Timothy was writing the letter with him, I forget, has been developing various kinds of theology, and the last few weeks been looking at how that works out in our life. And I think various spiritual disciplines are mentioned in this passage. Um, And uh, and I want to focus on perhaps, because there's things like being thankful, or Uh, the life of peace. These are popular disciplines, but the discipline of submission may not be be so popular. So from verse 15, it's come up on the screen as well. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ, the, the word of Christ, dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving when you're at work, in other words. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, chapter 4, verse 1, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. I think that last section is to do with slaves and masters, um, which really existed in those days, not like um, the slave trade of the 18th century and 19th century, early 19th century, but still it existed then. But I think we can transfer that to when we're at work. This week I was invited back, I left work last year, and sort of retired, I don't like to use the word. Um, and, um, but I still get invited back, I went to this social event, we had a karaoke evening. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I know, at uh, Hello in Leeds. It was, uh, it, it was like worshipping here, only it was secular songs. <laughs> mostly. And, um, but, uh, you know, we sometimes can think our worship is strange, but you know it's not strange. I honestly don't think that it's strange. Um, so. Uh, But, you know, they several times asked me if I would go back. You know, I think I was that good, Okay, Right. (laughs) So I I was literally asked to go back to take my job. But uh, I think it was more jokey the other evening when they were asking me to go back. Even people who've joined since I left said, oh, you're the Andrew I've heard about. (laughs) Yay, that's good, isn't it? So I tried to be a good employee, but I have to say, although you know, I certainly disagreed with some things, I went and said, "Hi, hey, I think you can do stuff better here, or whatever." Sometimes that worked, sometimes that didn't. I always obeyed in the end, but I can't say I was always truly submissive all the time. Do you, that, you know, think about your role at work. I mean, do you think you know? I did grumble occasionally. I'm sure you never do. But anyway. But I want to really focus on, on the verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Um, this statement obviously has to do with relations between a husband and wife. And I so I want to explore this spiritual discipline of submission. First of all in that context and then in a wider context. Wait a minute, Andrew. I'm not married. What's this to do with me? Well, look out for transferable principles. Okay, Submission is a spiritual discipline for us all, as I hope to show. And then you might say, well, but Andrew, my spouse doesn't share my faith in Christ as far as I know. Well, that may be exactly the sort of marriages Paul was addressing, actually. So let's keep going, all right? Now, Christians come to different conclusions about this passage, this verse, and exactly what that means and how it works out. And, and, um, and I think people in this church have different uh, kind of convictions about it. So I'm going to present one view and then the other view. And then actually, I think in practice, it almost works out very much the same so I'm then going to broaden it out into the spiritual discipline of submission so you ready I'm going to argue for one position then argue for the other are you ready for the ride yep okay so um because you might be thinking wow this all sounds a bit harsh what what have you but you know if God really you know if God was just a projection of me then everything he wrote down in his book I would agree with wouldn't that be the case yep But if God really is a being who existed far before me and is a real, real being, then isn't it likely, I mean, do a little thought experiment, isn't it likely that some of the things he says and does and thinks would not be in line with what you say and think and do? Isn't that possible? Yep, so we always, when we come to Scripture, we want to open our hearts. So let's be ready. So I'm going to argue um, then... um, so, where am I here? So, yes. So, there, there are labels for these two views. Of course, there's a whole gradation of different views. I'm just going to pick sort of two variations, okay? So, the, this... Um the first one is called a complementarian view, that men and women complement one another, which I think everybody agrees anyway. And the other view is called egalitarian, and actually everyone agrees that men and women are equal in worth before God. So there's an awful lot of agreement. Do you understand just to say that? So, um, but in the complementarian understanding, the submission in marriage is fitting because the husband has a God-given role of leadership in the home by virtue of being a man. So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, when we hear this word, submit, we think of yielding to the will or authority of another person. And we might feel, whoa, that's, a, that's quite heavy. But, um, you know, there's a parallel passage in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he writes at greater length. So It's quite instructive to go across to that. So in uh, Ephesians 5, 21, 22, 23, he starts by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ wives submit yourselves and actually in the Greek text the submit in verse 22 isn't there because it's just assumed from verse 21 okay wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife of, as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything now, there's a word head used here. Do you notice the word, the husband, is the head of the wife? And it's obviously a metaphorical language. And the, head, the word head can have two metaphorical uses. For example, um, Christ is described as head, meaning an authority figure, like we might say head teacher in Ephesians 1, to 23. So that, that's up there. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is, is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. But then a little bit later in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, um, the word head is used in a different way, like we might talk about the head of a river being the source of the river. So Christ is described um, in that way in Ephesians 4:15 and 16. So where there we read, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So which meaning did Paul of head did Paul mean in this passage? Well, the two views take the opposing view. If we have a complementarian view, then we say that the word head here means an authority. If Christ has authority over his church, which he does, then equally a husband has authority over his wife, but constrained by the example of Christ who gave himself up for his church. And, uh, of course, even if you take the alternative egalitarian position that this means source, this metaphor of head and body is an unequal metaphor, isn't it? There's still a greater responsibility seems to be placed on the head or the husband in the marriage. Now, of course, submission is the most easily abused of the spiritual disciplines. Without doubt... This view of marriage has been abused down the centuries. In the last 2,000 years of Christianity, patriarchal societies have found it comparatively easy to enlist Christianity into their project. And too often, Christian churches have connived in that uneasy alliance. Um, But just because something's misused doesn't mean it can't be rightly used. I mean, sometimes doctors make mistakes and they make a mess, but we don't say, right, I'm never going to doctors ever again, yeah? So, you know, it was only in 1975 I was almost an adult, in fact, I was an adult in 1975 when the Sex Discrimination Act was passed in Britain, and it was only because of that act that a woman in Britain could take out a loan without having the application countersigned by her husband or her father. Yes, that's true. Does that sound surprising? Anyway, so... The Bible then gives us lots of mitigations to limit how submission is worked out. And this is what people with a complementarian view would be very clear about. That, uh, for example, um, there's a matching. Firstly, there's a call to wives. The call to wives to submit is matched by a call to husbands to love sacrificially. Um, Colossians 3.19, husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Paul's instructions in this passage to husbands, fathers, and slave owners are revolutionary and liberating. Paul introduced principles of justice, of kindness, and of accountability previously unknown in the ancient world. I mean, masters are reminded you're going to have to answer to God. Everyone who has any place of authority in, in, in your secular work, you will answer to God for how you exercise it. And, and notice that when he turns to husbands, Paul doesn't say, "'Husbands, make sure your wives obey you,' does he? Do you understand?' No, he, he's, he, he tells them to be kind. At the age of 25, in August 1876, the man in this picture here, Benjamin Warfield, American man, married Annie Pierce Kinkhead. Soon afterwards, I guess it was a kind of honeymoon, they visited Germany. During their time there, Annie was struck by lightning and permanently paralysed. Just newly wed. Benjamin was a theology press professor at Princeton in the United States, one of the preeminent universities in the States. But nevertheless, all the years till she died in 1915, he cared for his wife. That's the man loving his wife. Now secondly, the call to submit does not mean unthinking obedience. This is still the complementarian view I'm bringing to you. It was last year in February, 6th of February 22, I was speaking, preaching here at the Oak from 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, where the apostle Peter also talks about wives submitting to their husbands. But he makes it very clear. Um, He told wives, you can choose to follow Christ even if your husband says you shouldn't be following Christ. He says, you can work to persuade your spouse that they should turn to follow Christ. He, 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 in other words, Peter believed wives should make their own decisions. They should not resist their, um, and that they should should resist their husband if he proposes that they do something that is that is evil, that is wrong. Submission does not mean unquestioning obedience, and that is taught in the Bible. So, um, you know, and as I said earlier, you know, I think when we're at work, it's good to give obedience, but actually, you can give obedience and be really rebellious in your heart whereas God is looking for us to be, uh, bring submission into relations that we have. So now let's swap, let's do a quick uh, uh, sort of skate through the egalitarian understanding that submission in marriage is fitting because Christ called for mutual submission, okay? So this is a contrasting view. Firstly, when Paul says husband is the head, he means source, not authority. Though those who take that position would say, well how so? Well, if you look at verse 23 in Ephesians 5, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the saviour. And so the late John Stott, to go back to the Pope of the evangelical Christians, one time anyway, Writing about Ephesians 5, he said this, I put the quote on on the slides. In order to understand the nature of the husband's headship in the new society which God has inaugurated, we need to look at Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the context in which Paul uses and develops the words headship and submission. He defines it in relation to the headship of Christ, the Redeemer, right, of which he is the Savior. Next slide. Now, Christ's headship of his church has already been described in chapter 4, 15 to 16, which I showed you earlier. It is from Christ It is from Christ as head that the body derives its health and grows into maturity. His headship is endorsed by the surprising addition of the words and is himself its saviour. The head of the body is the saviour of the body. The characteristic of headship is not so much lordship as saviourhood. John Stott was a complementarian, but he still wrote that. So there's a lot of there's a lot of commonality in these things. Secondly, the call to submit does not always mean the other party is in authority over us, as we saw in Ephesians 5:21. It says, "Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ." Well, that's a general command to all of us to submit to one another. Well, that means that this command to submit is not telling us that the person we're submitting to necessarily has a God-given authority over us. We're just told to submit to other people. It's an inner attitude. It's it's a statement about inner attitudes, not that another person has a God-given place of authority. At least I'm arguing from the egalitarian position. Thirdly we think of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 7, where he describes, he writes at great length about marriage, and it's amazing how he describes such a reciprocal arrangement. And so, egalitarians would point to this. So 1 Corinthians 7, uh, there's this reciprocal view of marriage. And as I read this, just see how he balances husband and wife with totally identical statements. Um, Verse two, but because sexual immorality is so common, it was then, it still is today, Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. See the reciprocality of that, if that's the right word? Verse 3, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, a a wife to her husband. Reciprocal. Verse 4, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. It's completely reciprocal. Uh, uh, later on he starts to speak about a marriage where not both parties are following Christ at the moment. So he says, verse 14 and verse 16, for the unbelieving husband is made holy by the believing wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Wife for all you know you might save your husband, husband for all you know you might save your wife. See the reciprocality of that. Or, Or then he goes on to talk about and celebrate singleness um, but he's also very reciprocal here, verse 32, 33, 34. Maybe we'll skip reading that. I'll let you read it on your own. Um, so there's, it seems unlikely that in Colossians 3.18, in one verse, Paul would cancel out a very lengthy passage in which he speaks so deliberately on the subject of marriage, so an egalitarian argument would be. And fourthly, of course, the challenge to an egalitarian is why on earth does Paul call wives to submit to their husbands then? What's the point? And generally the argument would be along the lines, well, in that world, women were regarded as the property of their husbands. They, were, they had very few... Um, a husband could murder his wife and he would not have to answer before the law. Uh, William Barclay says uh, a wife would offer complete servitude and chastity But her husband could go out as much as he chose and could enter into as many relationships outside the marriage as he liked and incur no stigma. Such was the social situation of that world. And then imagine the scenario. Women hear the gospel. They believe in Jesus. They hear of their new liberty and equality in Christ with men. And then they start asserting themselves at home in a way that's bringing disrepute to the Christian body. And Paul is a sense always driven by a desire for mission, says, come on, let's take care. We have this new liberty, but that's something we'll live in in the fullness when Christ's kingdom is fulfilled. Right now, we need to accommodate things and move carefully. He's calling for the spiritual discipline of submission. So now I'm going to move on just to talk about that uh, for us. Submit. Paul's call is to practice that spiritual discipline of submission. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians five twenty one. Thirty odd years ago, a couple in the church I was in then I felt a call to go and work overseas, and they went to work in Afghanistan, sorry, in Pakistan, right up in Peshawar. Um, which is right on the uh, border with Afghanistan, and they were working in refugee sites where many Afghan people had fled. Afghan, I think that was the time when the Soviets were fighting. At that time, there, there's you know the Brits have been fighting there over the centuries. I mean, everybody's been Americans, haven't they? Everybody's been fighting there. It, it's such a uh, sad uh, country, so uh, pressed. But anyway, this dear couple we knew. Are still they still work for Tearfund, actually. They were vegetarians, they'd been vegetarians for a while. But when they went out there, they found that if they were going to work with the Afghans, you know you need to eat with people that you're going to love, yeah? And for Afghans, vegetarianism was like totally weird. So for the sake of the mission of Christ, they stopped being vegetarians. That is the discipline of submission at work, yeah? So, in the passage, as I say, we see, uh, it's, I think it's the next slide, there's, um, we see, that, you know, be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you, rich you, the word of God, there's, there's disciplines there. Um, but I want to focus on submission, because that's about really taking Christ as Lord. It's an attitude appropriate to Christ followers, because Christ is Lord of all, even as we've been singing now as I've already covered submission does not mean being downtrodden it doesn't mean doing things God forbids because somebody told us to it doesn't mean we can't make our own decisions we have to give all our decisions to other people no but submission does mean that we voluntarily do not get our own way all the time and that is very good for us You want Christ to be Lord of you? Good. Well, one way to do that is to to make it real in your life is actually sometimes to let other people be Lord of you because God brings other people into our lives to have some authority in us. Now, it would be, I think, quite wrong to give one other person complete control of all your decisions. That would lead to coercive control and all kinds of other issues. But... Uh, There's a great book about the celebration of discipline by Richard Forster, published some 40-odd years ago. He says there, I think I put it on the slide, every discipline has its corresponding freedom. What freedom corresponds to submission? It is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society. In the discipline of submission, we're released to drop that matter, to forget it. Frankly, most things in life are not nearly so important as we think they are. Our lives will not come to an end if this or that does not happen. I remember years ago when I used to cycle a lot, I was like really mad about all the potholes around where we lived, you know, oh, the council. Blah, blah, blah. Then I spent two weeks in uh, India, and I visited this couple in Pakistan. Uh, The roads there have a lot of potholes (laughs) and other problems. When I came back, I realized all these potholes, yeah, they're a bit of a nuisance, but it's not that big a deal compared to what people in those countries are dealing with. It's a first world problem. The spirit, the attitude of submission, of the discipline of submission, helps us to get these things right. To understand which doctrines are written in blood. And actually this one's just in pencil. It's important to me, but I don't have to judge those who take a different view. We can live together. We can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts together. We can, can't we? To submit about giving some choices to another, letting go of our need to be in control. Paul writes, "Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly." To verse twenty-six, verse sixteen. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. I will focus on husbands here. Why not, husbands? Can your wife speak to you? Can she admonish you? I just want to ask you that. In 1 Samuel 25, there's an episode in the life of David where he has contact with a couple called Nabal and Abigail. Nabal is a really rich guy, but we're told he's a fool; he's not wise. It's said of him in 1 Samuel 25:17, at the end of that verse, he's such a worthless fool that nobody can talk to him. I just want us to, to ask, ask the Holy Spirit: God, am I such? Can nobody speak to me? How am I in my workplace? How am I with my family? How am I with my parents or my children, my siblings? Can people speak to me? Can they admonish me? Or husbands, is your wife sweeping up behind you all the time? Is she clearing up your mess repeatedly? Or can she tell you, get on and sort, get, get a grip on your life or whatever? Sometimes we need strong words spoken to us. And this discipline of submission is a hot attitude that says, yeah, I I can be spoken to. It's not easy, is it, though? I can be touchy, insecure, jealous, defensive, stubborn. One of the dishes I cook each week, I've taken to adding some, some spices to them, which I like. And then Elspeth told me yesterday she doesn't like them. And um, she preferred the dish how I used to make it. And so I thought, you know, I was... Mm, mm, mm. I, I was able to keep it to myself. You know, that's, what, that's one step towards godliness, isn't it? And, and, you know, when I was preparing this and I thought, yeah, it's not really that important. It's like potholes, first world problem. I don't need to add these spices. Phew, instead of just getting myself into a stew. right? I'm sure none of you do this. But you see, the discipline of submission, it trains your heart to evaluate things so much better. It changes our attitude to other people. We're at last free to value other people. Their dreams and plans can be important to us. We can learn to give up the right to demand that others love us or treat us in a certain way. We stop feeling entitled to privileges and esteem because we have a spirit of submission. You know, the testimony of women, far too many women, is that far too many men feel entitled to catcall them, to make lewd comments to them, to grope them. That's disgraceful. Let's raise up boys in this church who treat girls with respect, who have wholesome, respectful conversations with other boys about girls when girls aren't present. Wouldn't that be great? Men, if women and girls are kept safe in our thoughts, are kept safe in our speech, they'll be safer in our schools and safer on our streets. And how might that happen? Maybe the spiritual discipline of submission will change our attitudes towards women and girls. In this, we only follow our Savior Jesus, who was obedient unto death to rescue us. He could have demanded to have his place on the throne of heaven but he was obedient unto death. He yielded up his rights. He did not grasp equality with God. What a saviour. What a saviour. So um, I was going to tell a story to finish. So I can probably do that, can't I? And then we can break bread together, which will be a, an opportunity for us to come to Christ as Lord, to ask his forgiveness, where we've not brought that spirit of submission. This is a story set back in 1934, true story in China, of an American couple who were in China, John and Betty Stamm, who'd gone to China after training in America to share Christ with people in China. They were in their 20s. They were working in a small town called Jingde near the eastern coast, the eastern coast of China. It was a time of civil war. The communists were battling the nationalists. It went on for a very long time, that war. Um, And one day, the magistrate of the town where they worked warned them that the communists were coming for them. And before John and Betty could escape with their baby Helen, they were captured. There was a prison, other prisoners were released in order that they could be accommodated in this prison. Baby Helen started crying, and a soldier suggested they kill the baby. She was only in their way. But one of the prisoners who had just been released asked why they should kill the innocent baby. The soldiers turned to him, You see, submission doesn't mean acquiescence in evil. The soldiers asked him if asked him if he was willing to die for the foreign baby. And he said he was, and they killed him. That Helen was allowed to live. The next morning, they were forced to march 12 miles to another town called Michiel. Their shoes had already been taken from them, and Betty was barefoot. But John had socks on. He gave her his socks. Husbands, love your wives, hey. That night, Betty was allowed to tend Helen, but in fact, she hid her in a sleeping bag and when they were taken, just left her there. It was 8th of December. They were marched along, crowds lined the street. A Chinese merchant, a local Chinese merchant, Chang Xu Sheng, I don't know how I'm pronouncing it, stepped out of the crowd and talked to the communists, trying to persuade them not to kill the Stams. They ordered the man back into the crowd, but he wouldn't step back. true submission will challenge evil they went into his house and found a bible and a hymn book he'd been one of the Chinese who'd been converted he was executed for being a Christian they marched uh, John and Betty to the top of a hill ordered John to kneel and beheaded him and killed her straight after baby Betty was rescued Praise God. But they obeyed their call, and sometimes God's call. You know, most of us die by instalments, but some get to give their lives for their faith. But it's the spirit of submission to the call of God upon our lives that is demonstrated here. And I'm struck by the socks. That's a husband loving his wife. But Elspeth, you're still not allowed to put your cold feet on me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's break bread. Um, So band and people come up. Let's... uh